Today's scripture reading will be from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Listen to the reading of God's word. My sons, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have struck hands in pledge for another, if you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by your words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to, be, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hands of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. I read the paper uh, pretty much every day, and uh, as I opened up uh, yesterday's into the business and pocketbook section, had a big picture of a pink penny ba- uh, piggy bank, and said, now is the time for personal financial checkup. And as we are looking in Solomon uh, this morning, his wisdom out of Proverbs 6, he's kind of taking us to the same place. Time to take a look at how we're doing. Take a look at what's going on. Here's some of the wisdom from the article. It says you need to ask yourself some questions. Where's your money going? Are you on track to cut your debt? And here's the counsel. Paying off credit card debt is one of the smartest moves that you can make. It's especially important today when job security is shaky. With credit, with credit we promise to repay debt. With in- income, we have yet to earn. It says this. It says, having no debt provides freedom and to use the future income as you see fit. Other big questions that are laid out. Have you built a nest egg? Are you saving enough to reach your retirement goals? And all of these steps, again, to think through how we're living out our life, how we're being wise with what God has given us, how to live a life that doesn't become entangled in debt. And again, you go, this article, I think, came straight from Solomon, from Proverbs, and how to live in the wisdom of the Lord. Remember, these Proverbs are are Solomon, the wisest man ever, bringing us the wisdom of God, that we would live as God intended us to live so that we might have life in him, so that we might be free, so that we might, again, not be enslaved or trapped into sin or into poverty. 
And so this morning, as he starts out, he says, listen, if you have given yourself over, if you have used yourself as, as one who would stand up for somebody else, if you have shaken your hand on or given a verbal agreement, which, again, in the day was a contract, basically says, do everything to get out of it because it will end up entangling and snaring you for the rest of your life. Now, one of the things I want you to understand as we go into this passage today is that it's not talking about if someone's coming to you and they are needy. They need help. They are struggling. They are poor. They aren't making it through the day. They don't have food for the moment. Scriptures, as we begin in in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, let me share a little bit what the Scriptures say about loving those who are in need. This is uh, Deuteronomy 15. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend to him whatever he needs. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. He says do without a grudging heart because what would happen is every seventh year in the Jewish law would be a time when all debts are forgiven. And so sometimes, if someone came to you in need and they needed financial help, and it was during the sixth year, it was like, well, dang, next year they're going to be free and clear. He's saying, don't have that attitude. When someone's in need, give with the heart of God. Take care of those in the community. Take care of those in the body that are in need. He says, I don't want you to do it with a grudging heart, Deuteronomy 15. There will always be poor people in the land. And so therefore I command you to be open-handed, again, that beautiful term. Don't expect anything in return. Be open-handed to your brothers and towards the poor and the needy in your land. Leviticus 25 goes on and says, don't charge interest to your brothers and sisters. Don't put a heavy weight upon them. You know, I just think for us as a community, as a body, you know, one of the things I love... I love that we do in this church is we have uh, one time a month where we have a fellowship offering. Because guess what? Every one of us runs into a wall sometimes, don't we? And we need a little help. And so you have given generously. And so as people come to the elders or to the pastors and say, we're, we've really hit a wall, we're able to freely take what God has put on your hearts to give and we're able to give with an open hand. I love that we have a food cupboard here. And, you know, I, I just want to mention this. You guys have seen this in our bulletin. Uh, but there's just a lot of needy people. We are going through, as a, as a society, a, a hard time, right? And so people are in need of food. And I just want to encourage you again, as God puts on your heart, But let's fill up this food cupboard because truly food is pouring out. Uh, We are giving all over the place. Again, thanks to you because you're bringing it in. 
But we want to be people who, like the scriptures remind us, let us give open-handedly. Let us care for the poor and the needy. Let us show and reflect the character of God with our lives. And what a joy it is to be able to give that way. So the scriptures, again, are not speaking this morning about someone who is coming to you and, and again, is needy. I mean, truly needy. They have a, a real need, not something that, uh, you know, just, hey, I want to borrow some money for whatever. And what was happening culturally in the times so that you understand this is there, there wasn't a, a banking situation where you could go and take a low-interest uh, bank loan to start up a business. And so what was happening, this, this type of loan that is being mentioned in Proverbs 6, if, if you struck hands in a pledge with another, basically what would have to happen is that if you wanted to basically try to start up a business, the, the idea that's happening here in Proverbs 6 is, is kind of speculative uh, business. I want to invest in something, and I hope it works. I hope that we will make some profit on this. And so the idea is someone would have to, instead of going to a bank, the, the way that it worked in the time was you would go and, and you would ask a neighbor or someone in your community, would you stand as someone who would stand for collateral for me? Basically that you would be the one that they would bank on, that payment would be made. Have you co-signed for a car, for a home, put your name on that bank statement, basically as a guarantor to the bank that someone will cover this payment if the initial person who took out the loan doesn't. And that's what the situation is here in Proverbs 6. And he's saying, listen, I want you to, to be aware that you, as, if you strike up a, an agreement like this, if you've been trapped, and basically what he's saying you have been, that's what happens, that when you made this verbal agreement and been caught, I want you to really be aware of what you're getting into, and I want you to do everything you can to get out, because, again, if you are saying, I am surety for this person, and yet you honestly don't even have the money to, if, they're, if they fail on the loan, you don't have the money to cover that. You ever see these ads on TV all the time? Money tree. Money tree. You know, and they show, oh, I wasn't able to get into my apartment, and I was so happy. I went to Money Tree, and they just gave me all the money I needed, and now I have this car, and I, and I have my new apartment. And then at the very end, it says, use short-term uh, loans carefully. And the reason they say that is because they charge you 48-plus percent on your loan. And next thing you know, you've pretty much doubled within a short amount of time what you owe. And so I think what, the, what Solomon is getting at here is, listen, don't just freely step into this. Be very wise. I've talked to some of my friends who uh, give loans and a lot of times uh, car loans. And parents, what she said was, what parents don't understand is they sign for these loans for their children and then their children, again, lose their jobs or aren't able to pay. 
And the next thing you know, the parent is stuck with a $400 a month you know, car payment. And, and the parent's surprised. Well, how'd this happen? Well, you put your name as a guarantor for the payment. And so the wisdom is, would you be careful because I don't want you to be trapped in because what happens is you get stuck. You become indebted. And in the times, if the person didn't pay, basically, you became the creditor's slave. Literally. You became their slave. And so doesn't that happen to us with debt that comes upon us? Doesn't it happen? You know, again, I think, I think these people in the, in, the, in the paper are reading out of Proverbs. There's a guy in here. His name is, uh, well, his name's Dave. Oh, Dave Ramsey. He's a financial columnist. And so the, the question comes in and it says, hey, listen, my husband's working hard. I'm working hard. We, we just, we have $21,000 in loans and um, my father has said he will help us to, to pay down the loan. You know, should we take it? Should we take his help? And Dave Ramsey's saying, listen, if the money is going to be a loan, in other words, if, if your father is expecting you to pay it back, by no means, don't take it. Don't take it. He says, the, the problem is, the borrower is always slave to the lender. This is wisdom from Dave Ramsey. I'm going, this is exactly what Solomon's saying. The borrower is always slave to the lender. Even, and if it's with your parents, boy, it's a tough spot to be, he says, if you want your family events to be really strange, then go ahead and take the money. You know, again, I know we want to help our kids. You know, I know there's that life. But, but again, if we are expecting back that you better pay me, he's saying you just feel enslaved to that. You feel like you, you, you never get out of it. And what Solomon is saying is if there is some sort of debt that you are in, if there's some sort of agreement that has gone on, do everything you can to get out of that. Try to find a better situation. Try to go to your banker. You know, again, we're seeing a lot of these foreclosures, and, and you might see this. The wisdom is, again, hey, listen, instead of foreclosing on your house, go to your banker and plead. They literally said, plead with your banker to give you another type of a loan so that you might be able to arrange something. That's the wisdom that is given in our financial situations. Because, again, foreclosures are happening everywhere. It says, go, and they say, keep calling them, keep calling. If they don't answer, you keep going back. And that's exactly what Solomon is saying. Don't let yourself rest. Don't let them rest. It's like the widow who kept going after the judge to get her way, and finally it's like, enough nagging, whatever you want. That's how intense it is here. I love uh, fishing and... and, uh, I did some fly fishing up in, uh, we have a little place in Loman, as out the South Fork of the Payette. And the image of, of getting out of that was reminding me, as I was studying this passage, I'm fishing, and there I lay out the hook, and boy, it looks good to those fish. And sure enough, they jump right up after it. 
and boom, I got them. And then what you do for fun is you let them run a little bit. And so, boom, they take off. And they think, ah, I got away. And then you play with them a little bit, and then boom, here comes the monthly payment, still got you on the hook. But you know what that fish does? And I want you to have this image, because this is what Solomon is telling us. That fish will do everything it possibly can to get off that hook. Man, they jump up in the air. They will entangle around rocks. I mean, they will come back and forth. They will come and rest in your hand, and, and they'll play dead. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, jump out. They say, like that fish who's hooked, who thought it looked like it was a good investment, get out of it. Get out of it. You know, and I think what, the, what is happening, what Solomon's trying to do for his sons, listen, I want you to have life. I don't want you to become a slave to debt. You will get hooked, and it really does lead the rest of your life. It doesn't free you up for God's kingdom. It doesn't free you up to be used to the Lord. You're, you're constantly struggling with, with your relationship with the Lord. You're struggling with your family. Everything is tense. Everything becomes difficult. Stop getting into more debt. You know, I think a good question for us all is, if we had some debt and all of a sudden we received a government check, what do we do with that check? Do we go and purchase more and put ourselves more into debt? Or do we try to pay off so that we could get out? Solomon's wisdom to all of us so that we might have freedom in life is pay off, get out, do whatever it takes, work extra to pay it off, get out of debt. And I think again, so that we might have freedom in life. That it won't keep tangling us up and we think we can run and next thing you know, we're still hooked. And all of you know the feeling of that. Again, there's, there's normal debt, right? There's, we're paying mortgages, things of that nature. There's things that we just we have to go into debt a little bit, part of this culture. But be wise, is what he's saying. Don't just put up your name as collateral. Don't sign that contract. You know, I appreciate that a lot of banks will give you the right to rescind within about a three-day period. Let's say if you change your mind, you have three days. Some of us need to take that and get out which is, wow, it looked really good at first, but you know what? This is going to put us over the top. I'm living outside of my means. I can't really pay this off. And so the wisdom is, would you consider my son? And would you take these steps to get out? Don't allow sleep to your eyes. I want you to live in such a way that you have freedom. And the thing that he goes into next is that he wants us to to look to the way of the ant wants us to be free and to be, again, not quick to dive into investment. Do you know what a myrmecologist is? It's not somebody who studies murmuring, although, you know, there is murmuring that goes on. It is the study of ants. A myrmecologist. I can't even picture what that looked like in college saying someday this is what I'm going after. But Solomon says, 
We should be myrmecologists. We should be ones who look at the ant because it's wise living in the area of work, in the area of freedom. And I think what he's going to lead us to is that instead of being caught up in this debt, is the way to be free is to work and to work unto the Lord and to be diligent people, faithful people who work hard so that they might have life and freedom. And as God gives them their paycheck, that they might say, okay, Father, what do you want me to do with this money that's yours? I'm free to give it out. I'm not ensnared to this debt. And everything I get seems to go to pay this off. It's interesting in the study of ants, there's 10,000 different species. They're able to lift 20 times their own body weight. They build structures that are 500 times their own height. The brain of one ant has 250,000 cells. The human brain has 10 million. They have two stomachs. One to store up and the other one, they eat food and then they share it with their friends. Isn't that lovely? (laughs) And the typical ant only lives about 45 to 60 days. And Proverbs says, and Solomon says, I want you to watch the ant. You go, huh, okay. What is it you want to speak to me? And I was, again, as I was watching the flow of this passage, and again, in in Proverbs, there's not always a natural flow, but I think I saw the connection between the first section and this section we're getting into. And again, I don't want you to be enslaved. I don't want you to be impoverished financially and spiritually. I want you to have freedom. And I want you to see how the ant works so that you understand the freedom that comes from work. And he starts off with this. I mean, he kind of slams into people. He says, listen, sluggard. Listen, one who is totally slothful. And I thought, it's amazing how the paper realizes this about us. Dog days of summer. And then for those of us who are really uh, sluggards, full ad, lazy boy. I thought, you know what? The world knows us and our character, our leaning to be lazy. You know, some of you work really hard, but at the same time, you know that you like to be lazy. And the world knows that. The world knows we like to sleep. The world knows that You know, again, we just, ugh, we don't want to keep going. We're tired of the race. And so we want some time to just sleep a little more. There's, uh, some of you have seen these enormous elephant seals before. They're massive, 16 feet long. They weigh over three tons. And what happens is the elephant seal, he, he comes on the shore for breeding, And literally, pretty much his whole life, all he does is sleep. He has this one little flipper that's really kind of tiny. And here's what he, this is all he does. He sometimes he'll flip some sand on him just to cool him down, cover him from the sun. And then every now and then he'll scratch himself. And then occasionally with his flipper, he'll roll himself over and continue to sleep. And that's what he does. Rise up, O sluggard, and look at the way of the ant. 
that we don't spend our lives just flipping sand on us, but that we would have life in our work. The ant will show us how to be free. You know, again, we, we are in a nation of workaholics. I think a while ago in the paper I saw that we actually passed up you know, China and Japan for the amount of hours worked per week as though we were so proud of that. We work more than anybody. I don't know if that's necessarily still true, but, you know, you go, wait a second. Yeah, we're workaholics, but what is it that, that we're doing with our time? Maybe we drive to work and we go there, but what are we doing with our time? What value are we giving to our time and to our work? What do our days look like as we, as we go off to our work? Are we using our time wisely? Are we using our time to love our wives and our children, to care for those in the body? That we wouldn't just be people who go to work to work. Something to do to get the paycheck that we would consider again what our value is in our work. You know, a lot of times, there was an article a couple years ago in the San Francisco Chronicle, and I love this. This was the ad, in the wanted ad. It says this, we are looking for an executive age 22 to 80. The job entails uh, sitting with feet on desk from 10 a.m. to 4.30, watching others work. Must be willing to play golf every other afternoon. Salary starts at $1,000 a week. And then below was a little footnote. It said, we don't really have this job open. We just thought you'd like to see and print what everybody else is applying for. <laughs> what can we learn from the ant and the value of work? And I think the question I hope that we all ask when we, when we go to work is, is do we reflect the character of God as we enter into our work situation? Is God being glorified in our work, in our lives? There's some principles, again, we can take from the anthill. The ants, as you watch them, and if, if you've ever seen any of the science shows or whatever, you know, they have vision. There's lots of activity going on. But they have a vision. They have a purpose. You know, I talk to my friends who, who work at HP and they're printers, and they have a vision to, again, not just create a printer that hopefully puts out a few pages, but no, we want the best printer to give the most incredible color in the fastest amount of time, which is just amazing quality, and at a price that's reasonable to the economy. They have a vision to set out and achieve that, and they've done that in many ways. We as a church, we have a vision. And our vision is to make disciples, to equip the saints for the works of the ministry. It's not just about doing ministry. It's not just being a bunch of ants, busybody doing work. The vision is that we would have life together, life on life. That we would care for each other spiritually, that we would move each other closer to Jesus Christ in our lives. And so that as we do ministry together, as there is activity, that the vision, again, is that we're drawing closer to Christ, that we're becoming disciples of His. 
And so I hope as you do ministry here, that those that you encounter with and as you love kids or, or love whatever group, you're leading a Bible study, you're saying, Lord, help me to make disciples. I don't want to just be about doing something because I think I'm supposed to do something. I was thinking of our body of Christ, of, again, how we function together. And one of the things that you see with ants is that there's participation by every ant. You'll never show up at an ant hill and, and see one ant just kicking back. Remember what the Lord says in Corinthians 12? And I've given each one of you a manifestation of the Spirit, a spiritual gift. And what's the purpose of it? Corinthians 12 says, and the purpose is for the common good. That we'd all be participants in the kingdom work of God. At your workplace, are you known as one who is a team player, one who, who participates in the life of your work? People can count on you that you're not one who's just kind of doing whatever they want. It reflects the character of God, that you actually care for others and your, your bigger picture of the team. In our work again, do we reflect Him? It says in verse 7, no one has to tell the ant what to do. There is no commander. There's no slave driver. And this is one that always, I think, the Lord convicts us in as we think about how we're working unto Him. Colossians 3:22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them at all times, not just when they are watching over you. Obey them willingly because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work hard and work cheerfully at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And remember this, that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master that you are serving is Christ. And that the master that you are serving is Christ. Would you take that to your workplace tomorrow? You're not there to please men. You're there to work hard unto the Lord so that His character is played out. One who is faithful, you are. One who will do their, what they promise. That's the character of God. He keeps His promises. But you work unto the Lord. With the ants, you see that there is harmony. They're working all towards a common goal. I loved watching the opening ceremony of the Olympics. Did you guys enjoy that? I hope you did. And it was amazing to see, like when the drummers came out, what, 2008 drummers, right? And all in harmony as they beat that drum and in rhythm and everyone at the same time. And then it blew my mind, these guys in, in these little boxes or whatever, and we thought it was all robotics, and it was men and women in these little boxes, and it created these beautiful waves, and, and they all did it in harmony. And then out of the middle of it would come the symbol for harmony, which they said over and over again was what they were trying to accomplish. It was the ideal that they longed for harmony in this Chinese culture. And as we look to the way of the ant, there is harmony and that in the body of Christ, we would be working towards a common goal. 
that we would have harmony with one another, that our common goal is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we do unlike to it, and we would love our neighbor, that we would have harmony with each other. There is community in the way of the ant. Again, they build these colonies and they they all go together and live in these certain little sections in their colony. You won't see an ant, again, just hanging out in its own apartment. They live together. They know. That was the beginning of the church, right, in Acts chapter 2. That we are to care for one another. We're to be in community. that, That the Lord says, again, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That you don't just come to church and like, oh, that was nice, and you leave, and there's no community. That's not what you're created for. That we would look to the end and see that community is valuable, that all are important. As, as Philippians says, don't consider yourself better than others, but look at Christ who humbled himself even unto the cross. There was that other image of, of this beautiful dancer in the Olympics she was in green, beautiful, flowing outfit. And she was on this big uh, pad or carpet. I don't know what it was. But they were talking about her beauty and her dance. But underneath her, carrying her, were 50 or 60 men. And what the commentator said was this. In the Chinese culture, it's never just about the one. Everybody is as valuable. All those underneath carrying her are just as valuable. It's never just accomplished by one. That's community. The Olympics, again, gave us a lot to the way of the ant, I think. And again, the ant hustles. It goes after. It does what it takes. The ant will work at McDonald's. It will. It isn't too prideful to say, well, that's just way below me. It says, no, there's a need, and I'll work, and I'll do whatever it takes to provide and meet the need. You know, sometimes, gang, when we're in a financial situation, we've got to watch our pride and just say, you know what? Whatever God gives me, I will just work hard at, at it, and I'll work unto the Lord. It's not a fancy job, but it's a job. Because God has created us to work. And the Father is coming after the Son and reminding Him that work is good, that work is godly, that work gives life meaning, that God created and God worked. God gave to man and said, listen, Adam, I want you to tend the garden. It gave part of his life and his being, gave him value and meaning in his relationship with God. You know, at work since the fall has been a challenge, but again, it's part of our creation and that we would work unto the Lord and be obedient unto Him. You know, it's interesting, the Social Security Administration said this. It said, the average lifespan after retirement, after retirement is, guess how long? 18 months. Now, why do you think that is? It's value to us. It's part of our creation. I think, again, I've said it before, as followers of Christ, I don't think we ever retire. That God has given us work unto Him. That our lives 
are for him. That whatever we do, Ecclesiastes says, that we do it with all our might. That we work as, as servants unto the Lord, that his character would be glorified. And the father, I think, again, in this proverb, is saying to the son, listen, I don't want you to be ensnared. I want you to be a sluggard. I don't want you to spiritually and financially be impoverished. I want you to have life that, that, that brings life to you and reflects the character of God, that you would hold on to God and live out your character of who you're made to be. And I think, again, the bigger picture for me is, as we think about what it means to, to work is, is the bigger picture is there's God's kingdom work at hand. That we have lives that, again, are given to God to bring glory to Him. That, again, when we wake up in the morning, we're going, God, what is it that you have of me today in my work? As I show up at the office what type of kingdom work do you have for me to reflect your character that you would be glorified in our lives, O oh Lord? I just wanted to finish with this. I, I, uh, I had some wonderful devotional time up in Loman where I was fishing and I was reading Isaiah and God just gave this to me as, in my quiet time. And it's a preparation for Israel for the coming of the Savior says this in Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You will be called by a new name. The mouth of the Lord will bestow upon you. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hands a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or your name and your land desolate. You will be called Hephzibah, which means that you are my beautiful delight. I delight in you and in your land, Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so your sons will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will our God rejoice over you. Do you understand God's view of you? Like a bride over a bridegroom. And what we reflect. I will, wa- I will post postmen on the walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give no rest to yourselves and give him no rest until he works and establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth, earth. So pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up. A highway, remove the stones, raise a banner. Because the Lord has made this proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, our Savior comes. See, His reward is with Him, and His recompense accompanies Him. And they will be called a holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be sought after a city that is no longer deserted. In that Isaiah passage, it's build up and work and prepare for the kingdom of God is at hand. And a Savior is coming. And so I think, again, in the light of our work, that we would go, all of our work is unto the Lord, that we are preparing that, that, that again, God is coming back. 
that our lives and our work have value to prepare for his kingdom work. And what it says in Isaiah, it says, don't sleep, don't rest. So that his name would be glorified through us. Let me pray. Father, again, forgive us if, if we have <clears throat> maybe just been the sluggard, maybe have been just, uh, just not seeking out your heart for our lives. And Father, I pray that you would, would truly uh, just move us in your spirit. I pray <clears throat> for us uh, tomorrow as we go back into the workplace that, that, Lord, you would remind us that we work unto you and you alone. And I pray, Father, that your life would be glorified through us as we, as we love our fellow workers. I pray that our character and our attitude would reflect you. Father, again, use us as we prepare for your kingdom. Use us to, again, bring glory to your name, I pray. We love you so much in your precious name. Amen.